Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Wichita Talks Bagpipe and History Podcast. I'm just going to uh, kind of hand over the first little bit of the episode here to my buddy Ross McNaughton, who is promoting a competition. Uh, I'm not sure that it says in the clip, but April 30th is when it is the deadline is to turn in a tune, and you can win 500 pounds as well as uh, kind of either perform it or select somebody to perform it for you at uh, the Highland Games coming up this summer. So, uh, anyway, take it away, Ross. Hello and welcome to Pitlochry. Next year, in 2022, Pitlochry Highland Games will celebrate its 170th anniversary. And to help mark this occasion, we are going to run a piping composition competition. This competition will be for four parts of any time signature and open to any musician who can play and write pipe music. Yeah, lovely tune there. That's uh, Pitlow Creek Highland Games, played by Ross McNaughton. Um, yeah, so check it out. Like I said, there'll be a link in the show notes. Chance to win 500 pounds and kind of have your tune immortalized with the uh, Highland Games have been going for a darn long time. Uh, anyway, let's get on with the rest of the episode. Welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. So this week's episode is a little bit weird. Uh, I think they're all weird. Uh, I've got great news. I have a new set of bagpipes on the way. And having a new set of bagpipes on the way means that I have sort of lost all motivation to uh, play with my Scottish small pipes or spend the time that I need to set up my Highland pipes so they work well again. So this episode started as I'm just going to play some Irish tunes from Aird and from Smollett Holden. And that's all it's going to be. I'm not going to worry about doing any kind of 
kind of further examination because I also need to be making progress on my dissertation and that sort of thing. Um, instead, we, I wound up playing through a couple small Holden tunes, finding some airs I was really interested in, and then surprisingly finding a connection to Lead Belly, the kind of famous American blues singer from the 1930s. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing this episode. We're just going to look at Smollett Holden. Um, the episodes that are sort of in the works, I'm doing one on Hair in the Corn, which has been just lovely. It's just been fun to kind of play, play around with that tune again. Uh, and doing still working on that Lark in the Morning one. And I found really cool settings for both of those tunes that would sound good on a G chanter. So I'm going to wait uh, for my Swain pipes to show up from uh, Somerset, and uh, then we'll do those episodes. <laughs> so in the meantime, we get to hear about kind of the weird Irish influence on one of America's most beloved uh, and really like pop music's most beloved blues singers. Like Lead Belly, if you're not familiar with Lead Belly, uh, basically he's one of the many uh, kind of well-respected black blues singers that wound up influencing all of the pop stars uh, that claim to be inventing something like Elvis and um, the Rolling Stones and that sort of thing. Um, so he's great. And he sang an Irish tune, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna look at that. And I found I found that out because I was looking at this collection of Irish music from like 1807, and was like, oh, that sounds like an interesting title. We should look that up. Oh, Lead Belly sang it. Who to thunk it? So anyway, that's what we're gonna do today. Um, yeah, and wound up kind of tracing down this um, thread of the Kill Car uh, Killarney, sorry, the Killarney Hermit, and uh, do a do thou faithless world. So we've got some songs in here, got some music from other people, um, and then we've got quite a few tunes from um, from Smollett Holden. So I guess without further ado, let's get started with Smollett Holden. So I'll just go right into a tune, and then I'll tell you a little bit about this collection of music. So I think the first tune to play from Mr. Holden will be Baltiora. Not 100% sure how I'm supposed to pronounce that. Baltiora, B-A-L-T-I-O-U-R-A. Kind of a fun tune on Ellen Pipes. So Smollett Holden first showed up on my radar because I was looking at those Jackson tunes. And it seems like Smollett Holden is a pretty active uh, printer 
uh, around the 1790s into the 18-teens when he passed away in 1813, I think. Uh, his wife continued kind of running the business and publishing under his name for another five years or so. Um, but yeah, it seems like he was active 1796 to 1813. But he published uh, a couple volumes of these. He published a lot of things, a lot of music, but the things that are kind of easy to find still are these collections of Irish music. And uh, he wound up printing all of Jackson's stuff in there, the the Jackson Celebrated Irish Tunes that he published himself, but as well as a lot of other tunes. So I was just kind of poking around and looking at these. Um, one thing I've been curious about, you know, it's pretty easy to find uh, kind of a lot of material that was printed in Edinburgh in the 18th and early 19th century. Obviously, it's, it's quite easy to find stuff printed in London, but I always feel like Dublin and Ireland is sort of hard to find. Um, but yeah, I found this when I was looking around for Small at Holden, I got clued into this really cool website, um, the Dublin Music Trade. Um, that is, uh, I think it's one academics like notes is sort of the origin of this website. Anyway, I'll, I'll link in the bio, you can look at it. Um, but there's some interesting notes. Uh, Brian Boydell, I think is uh, the name of the person whose like, work this all was. I, I get the sense that Boydell had these huge, like, this huge index of resources he had put together, and um, either in his death or just lately somebody has put them all, kind of made them available online. Um, but they're great. They're full of interesting notes and uh, kind of connections to other things. So the details on the Boydell Dublin Music Trade Card Index are that um, Smollett Holden uh, was described in Dublin directories as, quote, military music master and instrument maker. Uh, publishing uh, Publications include collections of Welsh tunes, Masonic songs, country dances, and individual songs and instrumental pieces. Um, yeah, so pretty good stuff. And there's lots of just cool tunes in there. Um, some that are, were new to me. A lot of these tunes, I fear, would be worthy of kind of deep dives in their own right, but I needed to just have an episode that was me playing through some fun stuff. So that's what we're doing. We're just playing through the tunes that jumped out at me and a couple times I couldn't help myself and went looking for it. Um, yeah, so let's do next. Uh, what call have you to me, Ned? Another one from Smollett Holden. This next one uh, is called Yellow Stockings. Definitely a tune that I have seen elsewhere and um, would maybe warrant a kind of further discussion. It's got some interesting things going on. So it does, it does. It warrants further discussion. I'm not going to do that this episode, though. Um, 
I kind of realized a lot of times I have all these half-finished episodes that I don't publish because I'm like waiting for something and I don't want to have to repeat it. But lately I've been repeating tunes. I don't know if you've noticed, but like I played Bundle and Go on two episodes uh, and like within a couple months of each other. And I'm going to do a third one um, after I posted a video of me playing uh, Wee Wee Man, which is the John Rook setting for Bundle and Go. Dave Rollins kind of reminded me of an article he had sent me about Bundle and Go a year, uh, year ago. And that's a really old, interesting tune, and uh, I'd like to talk about it some more and kind of read Dave's article on it. But uh, again, the settings there would be fun to play on border pipes, so I'm going to wait <laughs> until I get that. So we'll probably hear Yellow Stockings again in the future at some point. Uh, just know that this is definitely a tune that I have seen in 18th century sources as well. Uh, the date on this collection of favorite Irish airs that we're playing through, this is all from volume one. I have in my notes 1807-ish. It's not a, I have a hard time knowing for sure when these things were published, uh, but it seems like it's the first decade of um, the 19th century. So yeah, 18, 1807 is a date I had seen, 1810 I've seen, 1805, um, I think I have seen 1807 enough times to just go with that. But anyway, here is Smollett Holden setting for Yellow Stockings. So continuing the theme of tunes that I had some sort of relationship with, um, you know, Yellow Stockings I have seen before, but this next tune, The Krushkeen Lawn, I have heard before, uh, and I think I, I may have actually played some of it on the podcast before in the earliest renditions of, you know, the podcast of Big Pipe Power. Spent a lot of time talking about Brian Solnum, who's my pipe major in the First City Pipe Band up in Bemidji, Minnesota, and at some point after a gig, somebody gave him a copy of like a um, like one of those generic, you know, 28 Irish songs, um, sort of things. And he had decided he didn't like that kind of thing. Uh, he was a Highland bagpiper and I was an Irish bagpiper as well. So he gave me the album. Anyway, it was the Clancy brothers and Tommy Makem album. It was just great. Uh, but one of the tunes on there was Krushkeen Lawn and it quickly became like a favorite song amongst my friend's group in college where a buddy of mine would sing it, could even sing the Irish part. Uh, anyway, so I was surprised to see it in Hullet, you know, Krushkeen Lawn. Um, so anyway, here is the Clancy Brothers version of it first. Uh, I, it wound up kind of, it, it definitely informed how I 
begrudgingly played uh, the Smollett Holden version of it. But anyway, here is my, you know, kind of childhood memory of this melody first. Over on the Prima Crunch, he's I made the mistake of uh, just taking a quick look at um, Traditional Tune Archive for this tune and saw that it's an O'Farrell too, and I just totally missed it. It's in volume three of O'Farrell, which means it's a hard one to like link on the uh, online version. But uh, anyway, here, I'll play you O'Farrell setting, uh, which is pretty close to Smollett's. interesting uh i actually just re-recorded the smollett holden version because um you know song singing a song uh is such an important part of like the musical tradition right uh but and i've been trying to be more intentional about copying the repeats and playing them as written um in these these sources but it's really hard when you like are familiar with and have sung 
you know, have, have sang the song or the tune to yourself for years. And then you look at a a printed version and it's really different. And this, this one is one of the worst examples of that. Like Krishkin Lan, like there's, there's no third part. Like there's the, the chorus part that I remember so much from the Clancy brothers, like that's not in this written score at all. The repeats are weird. And I just wonder how many of these tunes that I'm playing are like that, you know, like if I had heard the song version, would I be able to tolerate it? And how many things are just radically different? So anyway, I wound up re-recording Holden because the version I recorded on Ellen Pipes, I messed with so much. Like I, I fudged the repeats and then I added the third part because um, it all works pretty well. But then I was like confused and felt guilty that I was doing it. So I played it through sort of close to how it was written once uh, and then added the third part but then I repeated the whole thing again and tried to play it close to as written again, and it just sounded like crap. So uh, anyway, for closer comparison, here is Krushkin Lawn from Smollett Holden, uh, which, like I say, is pretty similar to O'Farrell. There are some differences, a lot of differences that I can't really express, though. Holden has these little embellishments or grace notes that I don't understand how to make sense of, because um, they don't like they don't make sense musically. It's also interesting that Holden has it in cut time and O'Farrell has it in common time. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, here's Chris Kinlon from Smollett Holden. Let's do another, this is another tune that I have for sure seen in other sources uh, in the 18th and 19th century, uh, but I'm not going to, I'm not even going to open traditional tune archive to see what I'm missing out on. We are just going to hear this tune some other time. I don't actually like this as much as I liked Yellow Stocking, so we might not, <laughs> I might not revisit it, but it's definitely a historic tune um, from well before Holden's day. Uh, so this is Round the World for Sport.
Okay, well, I lied. I opened up traditional tune archive, and I like that tune better than I remembered. Um, but it's definitely an interesting tune. It's about a guy. Uh, there's a lot of different versions of it. Definitely an 18th century tune. It's got an interesting social history of like recounting a politician that traveled all over the place gambling. But anyway, I'll have a link to the traditional tune archive entry, and I'll look more into it in the future uh, when I'm hard up for an episode idea. Anyway, uh, the reason I wanted to kind of play this one next is it served as a good transition into talking about the Hermit of Killarney. Uh, the Hermit of Killarney was a cool looking tune in Smollett Holden, and I don't really play a heck of a lot of slow airs, so I thought, oh, cool, I'll just play this air. And then I went looking for, you know, what this tune was, where other versions of it were. And I was surprised to find it had a long history and... Um, it seems like Hermit of Killarney is actually named after a person uh, that was a hermit on Lake Killarney. Uh, and the island is still apparently named after him. And there's a whole ballad about it. So uh, kind of interesting stuff. And um, yeah, and this, this melody shows up in O'Farrell's um, Pocket Companion as well uh, as the chorus of the ballad, which is Adieu, Adieu, Thou Faithless World. So um, the reason I thought Round the World for Sport would be a good transition is Killarney was sort of a tourist attraction even in the 18th century. Um, but yeah, I guess first let's... Um, Maybe I'll just play this this brief account of a guy kind of doing this tourist thing in 1797. This is an account uh, of visiting, he calls it Roman's home, but this is from George Holmes's sketches of some of the southern counties of Ireland collected during a tour in the autumn of 1797. Here's what he has to say about the island and the lake. We landed on Roman's island, where we found a small cabin built by the person from whom the island takes its name. He was a singular character and retired here to enjoy the pleasures of his rod and gun. It is finely situated, commanding a delightful prospect of the circumjacent hills, with the numerous islands scattered over the lake. Embarking again, we crossed the shore and wound round the woody promontories of those stupendous mountains, proceeding to the very extremity. And it continues on to talk about several things, but uh, it's just interesting. There are various stories about who this um, Ronane was. Uh, it seems likely that he was kind of a wealthy English person that uh, saw the lake and was dumbfounded and couldn't leave uh, is sort of the collective understanding. But there's other accounts where they say it's an officer from the Battle of Waterloo, but it's already a hut. Uh, everything's already established in 1797, so well before um, the Battle of Waterloo. Uh, but definitely a figure and kind of left a landscape on the on the or a mark on the land so that's actually the um episode art uh for this week's episode is a depiction of lake killarney with the uh, hermit's hut or kind of nice cottage uh, depending on which one i go with that's sort of a later depiction that makes it look a heck of a lot nicer but it's really a tourist destination um but in the the couple accounts that i read that talk about the hermit um they go into sort of funny detail about how despondent he might be. So, uh, I guess, so yeah, that's the chorus is, um, is what O'Farrell calls this tune, which is a do a do thou faithless world. So, um, this is from an earlier, uh, one of the early pocket companions from O'Farrell. So let's do that one first. Here's a do a do thou faithless world from O'Farrell. Thank you. 
Yeah, I'm not particularly fond of where O'Farrell puts it. The hold it uh, or the Smollett Holden version is much more pleasant to my ear. So let's let's go with his next. And uh, Smollett Holden calls it the Hermit of Killarney. So as per usual, I went to a traditional tune archive to kind of see where else this tune would lead me, and it had a reference to the actual lyrics of the ballad, um, and so I went looking for that source, which was Thomas Crofton Crocker's Popular Songs of Ireland, say that one fast, uh, published in 1839, and that's kind of a cool book, I think I'm going to spend some more time in it, but uh, Crocker goes into detail about a lot of popular songs, and kind of does a little write-up on them, and then has the lyrics, so... I'll just read to you what uh, Crocker had. Crocker sort of does a weird thing where he quotes from somebody else as well as himself kind of mixed in there. But uh, it's it's another kind of interesting write-up. Um, and he quotes from older sources. But kind of describes the whole appeal to hermits. I've, I've always... I kind of love a hermit, man. Like... Um, one of my favorite bits of uh, like binge watching historic television while working on like projects with my hands. I don't know if anybody else went through this, uh, but definitely a thing that I started doing as a kid where I'd stay up all night watching whatever kind of historic movies I had while sewing moccasins or sewing bags or whatever I was working on as a kid, getting ready for reenactment. Um, and so ever since then, I've just had a real soft spot for watching any kind of history television. Uh, but the thing I really like, there's a reality TV show, which is generally a little suspect that like, go live in the past reality TV shows. But this Regency House Party one, have people seen this? Holy buckets, is it amazing? Um, I'll see if I can put a link to it on YouTube in the States. Um, but it's definitely a fun, a fun watch of like putting a bunch of, uh, 20th century people at like a Jane Austen style house party, uh, and see if they, you know, find any marriage partners, except all of the like gender stuff is being enforced, which means that the men are all having just a blast and the women are just horribly bored and waiting to be noticed. Uh, it's kind of terrible, uh, kind of great. 
but there's a hermit in it. And I just love the little discussion of hermits um, and reading this account of the Hermit of Killarney uh, just really took me back to that. So anyway, here is uh, Crocker's description of the popular song Hermit of Killarney. This reading comes from Popular Songs of Ireland by Thomas Crofton Crocker, published in 1839. This is the entry for the Hermit of Killarney. The authorship of this ballad is attributed to the Right Honorable George Ogle. It is probably not a mere poetic invention, but suggested by an actual occurrence. Mr. Weld, in his account of Killarney, says, quote, It is scarcely possible indeed to enter the confines of this sequestered and enchanting region without feeling the influence of a spell, which abstracts the mind from the noise and folly of the world, and banishes, for the moment, the desire of returning to the gay and busy scenes of human life. So powerful are its effects that instances are not wanting of persons who, on first coming hither, have fondly revolved to retire to these distant shades, and who, with the permission of the proprietors of the shores, have actually determined on the precise position of their intended retreats. But, as if the spell was liable to be dissolved when the mountains of Killarney faded from view, or as if a temporary absence from the habitual enjoyments of the pleasures of social life served but to render a return to them the more agreeable, these visionary schemes have been generally abandoned on withdrawing from the scenes which gave them birth. One man, however, there was upon whose romantic mind a deeper impression was made. He was an Englishman of the name of Ronane. The spot which he selected for his retreat was this small island, which yet retains his name, and when I first visited Killarney in 1800, the ruins of this little habitation planted in the midst of rocks very near the water were still visible. They inspired one with a respect for the place, nor was it impossible, nor was it possible to contemplate them without falling into a train of reflection upon the variety of sentiments entertained by men about happiness, that invariable object of eager and hourly pursuit. The mind was also led to consider how little was actually wanting to supply the real necessities, even of a man who had, from infancy perhaps, been habituated to the comforts and conveniences of civilized life. Surely the spot should have been held sacred, as long as a fragment of the habitation remained visible. But the spirit of improvement, as is often so falsely styled, has swept away every vestige of Ronane's cottage, and the mossy rocks where he was wont to seat himself before it have given place to the trim surface of a smooth shorn grass plot. Of the motives which induced the gentleman to withdraw from the world, whether they arose from an innate love of retirement, from disappointment in his pursuits, or from, quote, strokes of adversity, no time can cure, no lenient hand can often or assuage, end quote, or whether they arose from his experience of insufficiency of the ordinary pleasures and luxuries of life to afford permanent satisfaction, it has never fallen within my power to learn. He avoided all society and seldom left the island except to partake of his favorite amusements of shooting or fishing, by which he procured his chief sustenance. Thus singular in his habits, he became exposed to the eye of curiosity, and offended a frequent and offended at frequent and impertinent intrusion, his jealousy of the approach of strangers sometimes betrayed itself in acts of savage moroseness. Nevertheless, his name is still mentioned at Killarney with respect, nay, even with admiration. The enthusiastic and unfortunate John Bernard Trotter, the private secretary of Fox, speaking in his, quote, walks through Ireland, end quote, of this celebrated song, the locality of which he confounds with Banna's Banks, says, It begins one way thus, On Banna's lonely banks I strayed. 
and every couplet ends with adieu adieu thou faithless world thou ne'er wert made for me so powerful continues trotter as some early impressions that i recollect learning the words of this song many years ago when a schoolboy it then seems to me the perfection of poetry its melancholy strains so often repeated of adieu adieu thou faithless world thou wert not made for me filled me with mournful pleasure Careless of the plays and sports usual with boys, I off, have often pored over these verses, unknowing their full import, but devouring and dwelling on them with secret and indescribable satisfaction. I knew not then what a faithless world meant. I had never seen or heard of Banna's Banks, and comprehended not what was misfortune or disappointment. These were the topics which had inspired the author of this pleasing song. By what mysterious sympathy did I conceive feelings which I never imparted? Or by what present presentiments did I anticipate the afterwards, too well understanding this song? All right, back in the present here, no longer reading. Um, it's sort of interesting. In a way, this background information about the hermit kind of ruins hermits for me. <laughs> of like, Because uh, I was looking at uh, another account from 1800. Uh, or sorry, from 1789, and it's clearly, like, a lot of people kind of conflate hermit or just a wealthy dude that had a hut built that he could stay in when he was hunting and fishing in this kind of exotic place that lots of people like to visit. Uh, it's a real different, it's a real different vibe, you know? Is this a hut, or is this a rich dude going off fishing and hunting and having fun? Um, I don't know. I guess I'll stick with my romantic image of the hermit philosopher um, that, you know, doesn't is not giving up wealth in order to actually live pretty comfortably off of game and fish. Um, anyway, the other thing that I think is interesting, because the, the lyrics are quite, quite fun, uh, kind of quite fun, but quite funny, if you know that the context here is that there's a guy that lived in a hut on this island that was a tourist destination and people came to visit him. And so he just would give these bold performances of moroseness and depression. Because when you hear the song, that's sort of what's happening is the there's somebody that stumbles across the hermit and is impacted by this hermit's loud kind of rant and um, address of why he is a hermit essentially so anyway here is me singing the song the hermit of killarney these are the lyrics from thomas crofton crocker's popular songs of ireland from 1839 As on Killarney's bank I stood near to her crystal wave, I saw a holy hermit retired within his cave. His eyes he often turned to heaven, and thus exclaimed he, Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou were not made for me. His bed was strewed with rushes, which grew along the shore, and o'er his limbs emaciate. A sackcloth shirt he wore, his hoary beard and matted hair hung listless to his knee. Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou were not made for me. I thought his heart had broken, 
So heavy were his sighs, I thought his tears would dry up the fountains of his eyes. Oh, twas a grieving thing to hear, a piteous sight to see. Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou wert not made for me. His sorrows pierced my bosom, in all I took my share. His sighs, my sighs re-echoed, I gave him tear for tear. I had no comfort left to give, it might intrusion be. Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou were not made for me. He ceased a while his mourning, and seemed in thought profound. But anguish soon returning, he started from the ground. and agony he smote his heart, and thus exclaimed he, Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou were not made for me. How vain and foolish mortals are who sigh for pomp and state. They little know the dangers that on high stations wait. They little know the woes and ills that follow high degree. Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou were not made for me. Ambition's but a bubble, a circle in the sea, extending o'er the surface, and ne'er can end it be, till in itself, itself is lost the breath of vanity. Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou wert not made for me. Why did I trust her honour, I reckoned by my own? Why did I trust her virtue? When she to heaven was flown, alas, too late, I now lament my fond credulity. Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou wert not made for me. I thought that there were friendship, but that's a gem most rare. I thought that love was sacred, and beauty was sincere. But these are visions, all like dreams, which with the morning flee. Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou wert not made for me. Oh, had I been a shepherd upon the mountain's brow, I ne'er had known those feelings that I experience now. My flocks had been my only care from every other free. Adieu. Adieu, thou faithless world, thou were not made for me. These toils will soon be over, my pilgrimage is past, the gates of heaven are open, redemption smiles at last. May all my enemies be blessed, my wrongs forgiven be. Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou art not made for me. He laid him down upon his bed. The threads of life were broke, his eyes seems closed in destined shade. I thought he never had spoke. Again his faltering voice he said, "'Twas life's last agony. Adieu, adieu, thou faithless world, thou art not made for me. Yeah, it's a fun song. Uh, definitely 
kind of look forward to the idea of revisiting that uh, in future future efforts. Uh, all right, let's get back to Smollett Holden. This is uh, Big Bow Wow, uh, another tune that I have for sure seen in other sources. I think I've seen it in Aired, um, but I'm not going to go looking. We're just going to hear Big Bow Wow. Uh, for Ellen Pipers out there, it is kind of neat. Uh, the second part only uses the top hand, really. There's one high E, but uh, you can kind of fake it. You don't really need to play it, and it doesn't kill the melody, I don't think. Uh, but that means that it is ready for some regulator work. So here is the big bow wow. There's a lot of cool tunes in Holden. I kind of kept myself to tunes that I either couldn't help but play or didn't recognize as being from other places. There's a lot of tunes that I'm glossing over because I've seen them too many places or they look like they're going to be hard because this was supposed to be an easy episode. Uh, anyway, here is uh, another good one from Small at Holden. This is She Is the Girl That Can Do It. Uh, real good tune. Kind of sounds like uh, Mary Kiss the Quaker's Daughter at one point. The... Uh, the, the A part of She is a Girl That Can Hold It sort of sounds like the B part to Merrily Kiss the Quaker's Daughter. But anyway, here is She is the Girl That Can Do It. So we're building towards kind of the last exploration of these tunes from Smollett Holden. And I think it makes sense to play them out of chronological order. So we're going to play 
kind of where this tune winds up first, which is as the melody Kisses Sweeter Than Wine, uh, performed by the Weavers, which is kind of Pete Seeger's, uh, I think Pete Seeger's in that band, right? Um, anyway, so this is a recording from the, oh, sorry, y'all, uh, from 1950 is when kind of this tune gets put together. Um, yeah, so here it is. Probably have heard this before. Maybe not. It kind of sounded vaguely familiar to me. Here's Kisses Sweeter Than Wine. Sweeter than wine. Oh, kisses sweeter than wine. 
So this isn't going to become a Lead Belly podcast, but it is sort of interesting. So th- that was Pete Seeger's version, uh, or The Weavers, which is indeed Pete Singer's um, band. The lyrics were composed by Lee Hayes and Pete Seeger. Uh, published in 1951, that album, uh, where Pete first got the tune is from Lead Belly, this kind of famous folk um, blues musician, kind of famous now, uh, sort of underappreciated for a long time, certainly has made a huge contribution to American and kind of world popular music. I think one of, I think George Harrison said there would be no Beatles if it weren't for Lead Belly or something on those lines. But what I kind of love about Kiss is Sweeter Than Wine is it very much is like, like this is what was happening in the in the in the 1950s and things where you've got something interesting happening from an African American artist and then it's kind of altered a little bit to make it more for the masses but this this tune is interesting because it's a tune that the African American artist altered to make more palatable to himself um, which is kind of it's kind of neat i mean that's what this podcast is about often i just don't have the really wherewithal to be able to tell the difference between the Irish version of a jig and a Scottish version of a jig. Um, but you can really hear the difference between a 1950s American folk version of the song, the 1930s blues version of the song and the, uh, 1790s Irish version of the song that you can really hear, but they're definitely influencing one another. I mean, they're not, (laughs) the later ones are definitely influenced by the things that came before it. Um, So it's interesting stuff. So uh, let's look at the old Irish versions first. This is kind of what got me going on this was in Smollett Holden's book. Uh, He has this tune as Drimmin Do. So this is Holden's setting for the tune. go back to Pete Seeger, you know, he wrote a book, uh, about kind of his role in folk music and whatever called where have all the flowers gone. And he talked about this tune and kind of where lead belly got it. And he said, he heard it from an Irish performer named Sam Kennedy in Greenwich village. Uh, lead belly first records the song in 1939, I think. So would have heard him sometime before then. I don't, I couldn't find anything about Sam Kennedy. It went looking, um, Definitely something that I'm curious about. Everybody has information about Irish musicians poking around Greenwich Village uh, in the you know early 20th century. I am apparently interested in that now. Uh, so yeah, help me out. Uh, but according to Pete Seeger, one of the things that kind of bothered Lead Belly about the song was that it didn't have a rhythm. Really, uh, that it was 
you know, it's a Scottish or it's not Scottish. It's an Irish song where you sing and you just kind of, you know, you, you, you sing where you need to sing. And that's always something that has intimidated me about playing airs out of these old printed collections. You know, I always look for, if I'm going to play a slow air, I try to look at somebody else singing it or playing it first. Um, which is what led me to listening to lead belly. Um, so I guess, I guess what I'm saying is take my performance of this slow air with a bit of a grain of salt. Like it's possible that it should sound more like Pete Seeger and less like how my interpretation of those notes on the page are. Um, anyway, so Smollett Holden was not the only person to record this tune at the beginning of the 19th century. Uh, Edward Bunting also had a recording of it. Uh, it doesn't get published in Bunting's work until 1840, though, and I did not take the time to go and look at what Bunting's source was for it. So, uh, anyway, here is Edward Bunting's version. If you look in the show notes, you can follow and look at Bunting. He has a couple verses of the song as well. Uh, anyway, here is Bunting setting for the tune, which he calls uh, Dear Black Cow. I think I, so I don't want to jump straight to Lead Belly. So Lead Belly is clearly singing the song. He's singing the song about a, a cow being dead and people being sad and remembering how great the cow is. Um, but Lead Belly's singing voice is a little bit hard to parse out if you don't kind of know what he's already saying. So it makes sense to me to play this recording of uh, folk musician David Sear playing it. Again, really cool thing. Uh, found some... YouTube channel called Reynard the Fox that has like it has a bunch of Roud tunes listed. It's kind of how I first came across the whole Lead Belly connection. But he has this version of Drimmin Down, uh, sung in 1959 from David Sear, and it's a pretty comical version of it. So we'll include it here, and then we'll go to Lead Belly. This is a ballad that started off over in Ireland as one of those lyrical Irish ballads to Drinnin' the Cow. It's a love song to a cow, but it's a love song to a dead cow. Tis a mournful sad ditty, I'll tell you right now, about an old man and he had but one cow. He sent his old cow to the field to be fed, when word come to him that Drinnin' was dead. Oh, the musha sweeter than thou. Oh, the musha sweeter than thou. 
When the old man was told that his cow was so dead, over hedges and ditches and fields he fled. Over hedges and ditches and fields that was plowed, and he never cried twack till he came to his cow. Oh, Ramusha, sweeter than thou. Oh, Ramusha, sweeter than thou. I would rather lose Patsy, me only firstborn, than to part with ye drinnin' now that ye are gone. So I'll sit myself down and I'll eat me dry bread, and I'll have no butter since drinnin' is dead. Oh, Ramusha, sweeter than thou. Oh, Ramusha, sweeter than thou. All right. Well, thank you to David Sear and all these sources. Um, and thanks to Ross McNaughton for contributing a tune. Be sure to check out the uh, competition, and there'll be links in the show notes where you can go and uh, write a tune, submit a tune for those Highland Games, and maybe win some money. Um, yeah, if you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash waytootwag. We'll be back in a couple weeks. I've got lots of things going. I, I won a competition uh, last week. I entered in the overseas competition uh, like category for the Lowland and Border Piping Society and won. I uh, kind of wasn't expecting that. feel like I should retire from competing again. Uh, unless I can go there in person, maybe I'll, I'll do that. But, um, but yeah. But that's a whole other episode. I wonder, I've been recording a bunch of Dixon tunes, but even the track that I won with, I'm not happy with. I wanted to play it on a different chanter that I don't own yet. Uh, but we'll see how it sounds on my John Swain border pipes with the uh, Lowland chanter and see how that works out. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. See you in a couple weeks. And to go out, here is Lead Belly's version of Drim and Dew called If It Wasn't For Dickie. There's an old Irish song called Drimmin' Down Dealish, all about a cow who was so beloved by his master that when she died, he was heartbroken. How'd you get hold of this song, Hudy? Well, I had an Irish friend, and he wrote it down in words so I could sing it in English. So now it's my song. Well, no matter where the song comes from, when Leadbelly sings it, it's his own song. Let's hear it, Leadbelly.
Put him to the bull, I still doubt of a fail. Oh, we can't put him down. So now I sit down and eat my dry meal, but I have no butter to put in my tea. Now I have no milk to stop in my bread, but it would be no drummer Hey everyone, this is Jeremy. Just wanted to do a quick kind of pre-plug, I guess, at the beginning of the episode here. Um, I was chatting with Ross McNaughton, and he's kind of promoting this uh, pipe tune composition competition, uh, where you can win 500 pounds for submitting a four-part tune, uh, kind of celebrating the 170th anniversary of the Pitlock Cree Highland Games. Uh, anyway, he's going to play a tune called Pitlock Cree Highland Games and kind of tell you about the competition and then the normal episode will start. Uh, the deadline for that is April 30th, so you still have time if you are into writing tunes and getting to kind of compete with them and perform them if you if your composition wins. So uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to find out how to submit your application or if you need an app. Uh, I think they're even like granting if you need longer to write it or something like that too. Uh, anyway. I'll hand it over to Ross.
Ah, cool. So yeah, that's the, the name of the tune there is Putlockery Highland Games, uh, played by Ross. Um, it seems like they're accepting like extensions too. Uh, I did ask Ross if uh, if like the 500 pounds included me being flown to Putlockery to perform it. Uh, it, it doesn't doesn't cover uh, travel expenses, everybody. But still, uh, sounds like a good time. Anyway, let's get on to the regular episode. <laughs> 